Hello, friends. We are back of episode 114 of our weekly highlights. We were a little bit later this week because I was busy at a conference, actually, um, the Fuse Conference, which I just arrived back from uh, a day ago. And I want to just give a quick shout out to all the R Weekly fans that said hi to me at the conference. It was greatly appreciated. Well, my name is Eric, and as always, I'm joined by my great co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's, uh, <laughs> as we say, a little bit of Groundhog Day over here at the R Weekly Highlights podcast, but uh, glad to have you back from the Fuse Conference and hear that that went well and uh, excited to to be back recording. Yes, and one thing for all of you would-be podcasters out there is that when you're fresh off a big event like that, good sleep really helps. We'll just leave it at that. You can fill in the blanks as you wish, but we're going to fill in a lot of awesome blanks, so to speak, with some great R Weekly content here. And our issue this week was curated by not one, but two curators. We had Kelly Bodwin returning to the curation duties, as well as getting some great help from Emily Robinson. Uh, Great shout out to Emily for helping pitch in, and her contributions are also very greatly appreciated, and maybe she'll be joining the team soon. We'll, We'll find out. But as always, they had great help from the rest of our Art Weekly team members and contributors like all of you around the world. So let's dive right into it. Now, most of the time when I'm writing an R script, Shiny app or package or whatever have you, it's typically to analyze data, maybe from an experiment, maybe a fun online data set, or heck, I make up my own via simulation methods. But these data can take many shapes and sizes, And one of those just happens to be right in front of you every single time you write code. And that's the code itself. Now, maybe I would get a little nervous trying to do any analysis on free text. That's always given me issues in the past. But there's no need for me or any of you to be nervous about the idea of analyzing your code. Because Matt Dre returns to the highlights once again with a very nice and concise blog post on how you can get started with parsing your own R code. Now in computer science, this term, this um, paradigm is often referred to as static code analysis. It often comes up quite a bit when you're checking your code for maybe syntax errors or enhancing the style of it via, for example, the linter package in the R ecosystem. And what's nice about that is that it's actually doing the linting before you're trying to run the code itself. It's pretty neat how it handles it. But what's nice about uh, Matt's post here is that it doesn't have to be linter to do this. You can do this yourself. Take a simple string, like in his example, doing a subset of a data frame, very common operation. But then you can feed that into the parse function, which comes in base R. This is not an add-on package. It's all comes right out of the box. What the parse function will do for you is it'll return what's called an expression object, which this is kind of a loaded term because there are lots of different, you might say, characteristics of expressions, but you can think of it as just kind of like that raw data pointer to what your actual code represents according to the way R sees it. And it's not easy to inspect that right off the bat, but then Matt continues his great tutorial here with another built-in function from base R, called get parse data, which now shows in the, in the code that you supplied into it, the different, what are called tokens associated with each term. And that may sound familiar for all of you um, 
free text and natural language processing fans out there. It's the same terminology. And it's pretty interesting to see what R considers these different parts of your code. And in fact, in the remaining examples in the post, Matt talks about how does the pipe operator from McGreeder be seen in R via the parsing mechanism? And it's actually called special. Well, we always knew the pipe was special, but it really is special according to R. That's literally what the token type is. And in fact, these little operators that you often see surrounded by the percent signs are another variation of that. And sometimes they're also considered functions themselves, which is another great illustration that Matt puts at the end of the post by leveraging Hadley Wickham's lobster package, another fun name for a package if I do say so myself, where you can look at the code that's being parsed as like a tree, an abstract syntax tree to be precise. But it's a great way to illustrate how R is seen what you thought were just simple operators are actually functions under the hood. You can get really geeky with this and really have fun analyzing your own code, but it's great to see just if you were ever like me a little bit, um, what's the right word for it? Bewildered when you saw tidy evaluation for the first time. Well, everything in tidy evaluation starts with parsing your code. And that's really a powerful paradigm. And what Matt's post here does is give you a nice, gentle introduction to what can be a really deep rabbit hole, a very powerful one at that. But it was great to see this make our highlights and kudos to Matt for once again, offering a very clear, straight, easily reproducible example here in his post. So you can get started with parsing your own code. Now, maybe I don't want to parse the code for my dissertation, but boy, you don't want to see that kind of code. But Mike, are you going to parse some of your code in this great highlight here? It's funny because eval parse combination isn't something that I tend to use too often. Um, I think there might be some performance drawbacks if you can help not going the the parse eval route. But sometimes it, ju it just makes sense to do so. And I actually had a recent use case in an R package that we're developing at Catchbook for our clients um, that involved right, creating a, a text string to build up a formula um, that gets evaluated later on in a, a dplyr mutate call. And I was actually surprised how performant it was on, on quite a bit of data. Uh, so I don't know, it, it was a cool use case and it was nice to dip back into that. And I, I really appreciated um, Matt putting this blog post together. Sometimes the uh, posts that he puts together are a little over my head, um, admittedly, <laughs> but this one- I, I was, know how that feels sometimes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this one, uh, I was able to hang in there, I think, for, for the whole thing. And, you know, Obviously, the biggest takeaway for me in the whole blog post, beyond just sort of the first sentence where he says R is capable of reading R code, which is the, the TLDR, um, is the function get parse data, which really returns this nice almost data frame looking table uh, where it goes under the hood for you and takes a look at every single token, if you will, uh, in a, a string that you could put together as part of some R code and then tells you sort of what that token represents, whether it's a symbol um, and an equal sign, you know, special in the case of the Magrater pipe. And it's really, really insightful into understanding how R evaluates the code that you're writing in your editor. Um, it really interesting. The other thing that I love about Matt's posts, uh, super punny, 
We have uh, headers in the blog post at an imparse, parsed tense, uh, parcel tongue for all the Harry Potter fans out there. So I, I really enjoy the way that he writes writes his posts. And it was an, also another good reminder of that lobster package from Hadley that I just seem to forget exists and is very useful when I'm trying to figure out what the heck my code, uh, the code that I wrote, is doing actually under the hood. And it's 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 such an intuitive um API that Hadley's put together there. So it was a nice reminder that that exists and uh, definitely encourage anyone out there to, if you're not going to check out the blog post, just try playing around with the get parse data function. Um, I think it's, it's, it'll be really cool to take a look at what some of the code that you write um, shows up as in terms of how R looks at it. Yeah, I've always wanted to maybe take these techniques into some of the apps I'm building and see what are the most common like UI elements I'm using or what are some of the most common reactive backend functionality I'm doing. I've always very joked, interesting. Yeah, I've always joked yeah. with people that you have to pry observe event from my cold, you know what hands, <laughs> which we talked about before, because it's littered throughout my ass. So I could get an objective view of that with parsing my code. <laughs> yes, yes. Hey, it's supposed to be observe and then bind event nowadays, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> you know how it goes. You know how it goes. Yes, I do. Now, like that little rabbit hole, I could go on with my shiny apps. Another interesting way you could analyze the code you produce is what packages are you using? You know, especially if you're in a specific domain, you might have a lot of interesting packages of like data wrangling or maybe some statistical modeling. Well, the topic of packages itself is obviously at the core of what makes R so great is the community around the package ecosystem. And as of this recording, you know what, Mike? We have over 19,000 packages on CRAN. Yeah, that's a big number, folks. And boy, it wasn't always that way. We'll touch on maybe a little bit of history at the, the later in this episode. But if you're, let's say I was in an alternate universe and maybe I was just getting into R like literally this year or maybe a month ago or whatever have you. Now, how would I discover a package that I need for maybe my data analysis or project I'm working on? Now, we're a little biased here. I mean, our weekly does a little bit of help here when we give you, at least in the current time, the set of new packages that have arrived on CRAN and those that have been updated recently. So you can get a nice you know, uh, view with respect to that kind of metadata. But there's so much more metadata involved in package, in package ecosystem. And by the way, in recent versions of our weekly issues, you may have noticed that we included a little link to a little search functionality. Where is that search coming from? It's coming from the R Universe project. And that's leading into our second highlight where Yaron Ooms is once again back with a great blog post highlighting the very interesting features of our universe. And this time he focuses on how you can search and discover for packages using the tooling built in to our universe. Now, right off the bat, as I mentioned, there is a handy little search box ready to go for you to search at your with free text, much like you would on any default search engine. But behind the scenes, this is using our universe's extremely powerful metadata that it's been aggregating on packages that are loaded into the system. So, 
I figured for to prepare this episode, I'd give it a shot. I'd look for a package that is a bit of a niche and statistical um, paradigm where it's dealing with multiplicity adjustment of a technique called graphical testing. And sure enough, I saw not one, but two packages in this domain. And boy, that second package I found was something that could impact probably my biggest project currently at the company in a very positive way, which I had not known about until I tested this search feature out. So discoverability for the win right off the bat. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. But that's just one piece of this, right? The natural step would be, okay, who's maintaining this package? Or is there an organization behind this package? What collectively are they producing? So the search results are going to get you quickly to the package authors and the organizations behind them, if applicable, so that you can quickly see at a high level how many other packages that that respective author or organization is creating. And you get a feel for the development you know, timelines in this, in this um, package development that they're doing, all exposed by very intuitive, easy to navigate links and very well styled, I might add, um, results that are coming out of the R Universe portal. And then Euron wraps up with kind of the bread and butter of the package metadata itself when you find that package you're looking for. And boy, oh boy, get ready for a hot take, everybody. This is going to be the way I look up packages in the future because there you get easily navigatable, clickable links to all the packages functions that are exported, ready for you to, to look at. No need to boot up a PDF form or anything. And also the vignettes are all right there in the same place. Very, very easy to click on, very easy to bring up in your browser. And I am just so thrilled of how clean and how intuitive the interface is. And best of all, you can get a view of the, you might say, development or activity of the package authors when they're updating that specific package with some nice little graphs showing contribution history, much like you would say on a GitHub repo, you could look at some of those things as well. But yes, if you're wondering, just can I look at, can I have that data perhaps? Oh, sure you can, because everything in our universe, the data behind it is ready for you to play with in machine readable format because it's JSON all the way. Little links to download the JSON representation of what you are seeing on that web page. So there's a boatload of infrastructure that Eurome has built for this, and it's all open source, by the way. So if you want to maybe build a tool on top of our universe, I think the the data is right for the taking, so to speak, to have at it. But um, definitely, if you're new to our universe, I, you would definitely be recommended to check out Euron's previous post where it gets into both the mechanics behind it and his thinking behind certain features, but also practically speaking, what can our universe do for you? It is a lot. It's really encouraging to see the development of this. And he keeps iterating throughout the months with new features and, and great showcases. So highly recommend to put our universe in your bookmarks if you haven't already, because I sure did after putting this highlight together. So Mike, what did you think about your That first is year? just a great, great overall takeaway. Bookmark it. it. It's an incredible new resource. You know, I, I've 
seen a lot of social media buzz around it, but but I still don't think it's getting enough attention just because it's so awesome. I you know I think I was hearing some some whispers about it maybe months ago, um, and and checked it out and saw that it existed. I think maybe while it was still under a little bit of development, but it seems like there's a big big push now to um, get the word out, which is I- incredible. And I searched for my R package, which uh, if I'm doing the math correctly, represents 0.005% of all of the packages on CRAN. That's some that's some quick data science math for everybody out there. Um, and sure enough, it's there with more information and links than, than I even knew was relevant to my package. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, I, I think, Eric, you were saying that you discovered a package uh, that you didn't even know existed that's going to help you in a major project at work. So it's already paying dividends. Um, and if you're like me and you're used to, to learning about our packages through searching GitHub, looking at the README, this is just going to be a much more efficient search engine for you because one, the search is limited to our packages and you should be able to find what you're looking for much faster. But the way that the information is displayed on screen um, is just just really intuitive. It's a really nice UI for all users. And it's, it's lightning fast. And, uh, you know, I was taking a little bit of a look behind the scenes at how this was even built. It looks like there's a, a package server um, for any infrastructure nerds out there, which is high performant and implemented in a Node.js, MongoDB, Docker stack, which, um, you know, I guess makes sense for, for how responsive this thing is. And the other just incredible piece of it is that as you mentioned, it's it's all open source, and it took 32 Git repositories out there that your own manages, I believe, to create this project. Um, and you can take a look at all of them on GitHub. So really, really incredible resource. Super grateful uh, to the work that your own and, and others have done to stand up this R universe. And I guess for, I'm curious to see how this potentially impacts other projects like like package down. Um, it seems like because this is already going to be available uh, for any CRAN, at least, uh, package out there, um, I'm not sure if it always makes sense then for some developers to create a package down site as well. Um, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I see this as a great, you might say, companion to package down in a sense that maybe someone is just getting started with package development and they're still getting the hang of how things work, but they would like to have a way for to point people to an easy way to navigate their help pages. Well, certainly with this functionality, our universe makes it you know very easy to grab that that um, that set of links for your function documentation. I still think there is a place um, for package down though, especially as you think about the long term investment in your package and having everything in one place that you can basically construct your own narrative of different use cases, maybe different applied examples of how your package works, where maybe then our universe with just looking at the function documentation and the vignettes alone may not tell the full story. So I think they're they're great complements to each other, but certainly it makes user package authors have a have a really interesting choice to make as they think about how soon do they opt in to building their own dedicated website versus just piggybacking off of our universe, maybe in the early stages 
just to get their feet wet, so to speak. So I, I think it's really powerful, though, that you're almost built all this right in. And you're right. It's so snappy, so quick. And my goodness, I if if I was trying to build one of these, I think it would take me like 20 years. I, I don't know how he pulled it off. He's obviously got immense talent, so we shouldn't be surprised. But the the use of containerization, automation via GitHub Actions, and the way he's organized everything. If you ever want to learn how to do a great kind of infrastructure related project that can help the R community, obviously R universe is near the top of that list, I would say. Yes, absolutely. And I am uh, a little sad to report that uh, the dashboard front end is is not built in Shiny. It's JavaScript. Well, you know, we can't have everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> It does sound like there are some reasons to celebrate, though. Oh, you, yeah, couldn't have set that up any better because guess who had a birthday recently, folks? It was the R language itself. The R language itself, version one, was released on February, technically February Conan O'Brien fans will get that reference. But any event, it is a huge milestone to the R community that R is 23 and going stronger than ever. But this great post in our third highlight comes from the R Consortium blog, where we look at, at at a high level, some of the great milestones along the journey that R has been on even since before version one was released and certainly some of the terrific events after it was released. We see little timelines of key events such as R actually started as a project at the University of Auckland in New Zealand by Ross Ahaka and Robert Gentleman. Very, that's, heck, why does R, why is R called R? Maybe it's because their first name start with R. Who knows? That's conjecture, folks. We don't have the authority on that yet. But in any event, it is great to see that it had quite a bit of development before we even saw version one. But then looking at what happened afterwards is really fascinating because to me, R is great technically, don't get me wrong about that, but it's also the community around it that makes us just as powerful. So then you see the building blocks of the community taking shape in this timeline, such as when both the R Foundation being founded in 2003 and then being able to share knowledge via conferences, say the International Conference that started in 2004. Then we have Our Ladies being founded in 2012, another very influential community effort, especially in the context of diversity, making sure that everybody feels welcome in this community. And then the sustainability of R going forward got a big boost, so to speak, with the R Consortium being founded in 2015. And then we see even more great events all the way up to now in 2022. We have our version 4.2.2, and we're not stopping anytime soon, so to speak. And then also there was some great, the blog post concludes with some great quotes from prominent members of the community. The one I want to call out specifically here is from David Smith, who's been one of the very influential members from the early days of the Revolutions blog that I read very fondly when I first started using R, but I want to read his quote here for all of you because it speaks volumes to me on many levels. He says, and I quote, it's honestly mind blowing how far R has come. 
when I first started using it, using open source software for real world analysis was almost unthinkable. Today, pharmaceutical companies are using R to get drugs approved by the FDA. R has made high quality advanced statistics available to everyone. And boy, as somebody who comes from the life sciences world, that really spoke to me in many ways. So thank you, David, for that great quote, but also obviously a terrific, um, you might say, look back at history, but also more importantly, a great blend of the key events with key members of the community and their perspectives. So great read, very short, but yet very powerful at the same time. So yes, I like R. We wouldn't be here without R. We wouldn't be doing this podcast without it. I probably couldn't do 95% of my job without it. So it's been very influential to me for many reasons. But Mike, did you like this uh, look back at history here? I did. I always like looking back at, uh, you know, some of the the beginnings of R because, you know, in, in open source software, and I think just as data scientists, we're always trying to stay on top of the the latest and most cutting edge stuff, and it's it's easy sometimes to forget just how much of of a foundation um, is behind everything that we do. And, and I, I know when people talk about Python, uh, everybody always you know refers to Guido as as sort of the original author of Python and gives him a lot of credit. But when we talk about R, I, I guess I don't hear as much the names of the folks who were sort of the original developers. So it's really nice in this blog post to see call outs to, to John Chambers and his work on the language S, which predated R, and then uh, Rossi Haka and Robert Gentleman, as you said, um, out in New Zealand, developing kind of what the original R language looked like. And I think it's nice here to be able to, to shout them out and to remember some of the folks who uh, we stand on the shoulders of as we build our own R packages on, on top of what currently exists. And it was also nice, as you said, to take a look at some of the major milestones stones um, over the past 20, how many years uh, of the R language, which is, is pretty incredible. And, you know, one that I will point out is uh, that they have here, they have about 10 different milestones. And one of those 10, ladies and gentlemen, uh, our own Eric Nance in your headphones right now is called out by this blog post in the R Consortium 2022 Submissions Working Group successfully submits a test submission package with a shiny component to FDA. That is considered a major milestone in the history of R, and that has Eric's fingerprints all over it. So uh, thank you to you, Eric, for being such a big part of a major milestone of the R language. And I think I speak for all of us when I say uh, I'm not going to stop using R anytime soon, and I'm excited to see where it continues to go. Yeah, that was a very pleasant surprise to see that. But again, I am just one small part of this excellent working group. But again, without the community behind it, none of this happens. Everything would have still been in silos, so to speak. But the nature of R itself has brought so many of us together to make things better for the industry as a whole, but also for data science as a whole in this was a very um, influential project to be a part of. And boy, you're going to see a lot more in this space coming up soon. But yeah, it is an exciting time. And this is actually what I presented about or will be presenting about in a less, about a week from this recording at the Shiny Conference. So if you haven't uh, signed up for that by Absalon, this is your uh, little teaser to maybe sign up for that. It's completely free, but we're going to hear a lot of great uh, Shiny content in a week from now. 
Yes, we are getting into conference season, and I'm excited as well to see you at the Absalon Shiny Conference, Eric. Yeah, and um, who would have thought March would be such a busy conference month, but hey, you know, I love talking about this stuff left and right, and there's a lot more we could talk about, but we're going to wrap up here with some additional finds that we've found in this issue, and for me, I want to give a great shout out to my good friend and TidyX co-host Ellis Hughes who has re- announced the release with his partners at, at GSK, the new GTO package. Now, what is GTO? Well, it is simply put, making that great table that you've generated with the powerful GT package and letting you put that in seamlessly into a Microsoft Word document via the Officeverse. So yes, for those of you in industries like mine or elsewhere that are still having to deal with static outputs for communication, but want to preserve that magical, great display you've created with GT. GTO is right up your alley. So congrats to Ellis and the team for making that happen. And I had great pleasure of meeting him once again at the recent Fuse Connect conference, had some great conversations about all things in our industry. And as fellow content creators, the, the life of that. So lots of Lots of good conversations, but again, congrats, Ellis, on releasing GTO. Uh, That'll be uh, very handy for all those beautiful shiny apps that I build uh, just for end users to ask for a button to download to Excel or to create a Microsoft Word report. That's the life, Mike, isn't it? (laughs) Well, well, uh, what did you find in this issue? So we have another blog post from Chung Hong Chan, who you may remember from his January blog called The Oldest R Version 1 Can Still Run Today, which was a cool rabbit hole that we got to go down. Um, I think we made it all the way down to version some form of version one that was very yeah like version 1.8 or something like that it was amazing how far we went <laughs> yeah it was certainly a trip down containerization uh lane but it was it was really cool so this time it's it's all about a new package his team is working on in, in a similar vein and that package is called rang r-a-n-g uh, for reconstructing our computational environments and a lot of this post touches on Bioconductor, uh, which, to be honest, is is an archive that, admittedly, I don't use very much. Eric, I imagine maybe at some time in your career, you've come across the the Bioconductor uh, archive being in the space that you're in. Yeah, I had um, in the past uh, role, I was knee deep in biomarker analyses coming from microarray experiments, and Bioconductor was the way I could still use my favorite language to import those very cryptic binary cell imaging files into a readable data format and go to town with some great uh, statistical analysis. So I have fond memories of my interactions with Bioconductor. Nice, nice. Yeah, so so I guess my one takeaway from here is that I discovered that, that while obviously Bioconductor packages can depend on CRAN packages, the inverse is also true. A CRAN package can depend on a Bioconductor package, um, which is interesting. Because CRAN packages obviously cannot depend on like remote-based packages or, or, or packages that you have on GitHub or, or Bitbucket or things like that. So that was that was an interesting takeaway for me that I did not know before. And it's a blog post I'd encourage other folks to check out if they're interested. Yeah, really great 
um, great avenues that we're seeing in the concept of reproducible work. Obviously, we talk so much about our markdown and Quartal. Those should definitely be in your tool suite, along with packages like RM for managing package reproducibility. But on top of this great resource here with, with Rang, I also recommend uh, Bruno Rodriguez's new online open book about reproducible analysis and R, a great find as well. We'll put a We'll put a link to that in the supplements of the show notes if you want to check that out as well. But it's a great time to get involved in this space and lots of promising tooling available so that you can tackle this problem head on with a really robust uh, mechanism to make that happen. And of course, this podcast is not possible without hearing from all of you. We love to get your feedback with us and the R Weekly Project itself. So what's the easiest way to do that? You can get in contact with us with a little contact page that's linked directly in the show notes that you'll see in this episode. And also, if you want to be on the cutting edge with podcast listening itself and grabbing yourself one of those fancy new podcast apps like Fountain or Podverse, you can send us a little boost directly in the app itself. It's very easy to get started with that. We'll have links to tutorials if you want to pursue that. We always appreciate hearing from our audience in many different ways. And also, if you see a great resource in R Weekly that you want um, to be mentioned in in the upcoming issue, everything's at Markdown. So all you have to do is send a little pull request to our current draft. It's all Markdown text, so very easy to get that in. And our curator will review and merge it in for the next issue. And also, we love hearing from you on our various social media efforts. I am still sporadically on Twitter with at the RCast, but you can find me more frequently on Mastodon. My handle is at our podcast at podcast index social. And Mike, where can the listeners get a hold of you? Yep, same situation over here. Uh, Twitter still at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K E T C H B R O O K, and Mastodon at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org. And also, um, Mike didn't know I was going to say this, but I want to give a quick shout out to Mike's recent post on LinkedIn for the history, speaking of history, of Ketchwork Analytics. So if you want to hear about Mike's journey and, and from building up his consultant company, definitely check that post out. It was a really entertaining read. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a uh, it's been a journey these last three years, and I, I thought I'd take a couple minutes to reflect on it for anybody who's interested in, in following along or interested in data science consulting or, or entrepreneurship. Yep, it's a great space to be involved with, but obviously you put in a lot of hard work along the way, so it was definitely a snapshot of that reading this thank post. You. Yep, and yeah, certainly. Thanks to all of you for listening from wherever you are around the world. It's great to have you listening to the show and that will close it up for us for now, but we'll be back a little bit earlier next week for our next edition of our weekly highlights. Until then, take care and enjoy your R adventures. <laughs>